The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Ever wondered how a book gets made into a movie? Or how to master the art of cooking? Either way, we've got you covered with the Two Guys from Hollywood podcast. I'm Alan Nevins, a literary agent and talent manager. And I'm Joey Santos, a columnist and celebrity chef. On our podcast, we're going to be serving you a fresh perspective of the entertainment industry alongside our favorite celebrity guests. As we like to say, we don't dish, we serve. Listen and follow Two Guys from Hollywood on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll talk at you soon. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sports Grid Fantasy Football Podcast. My name is Davis Maddock. You guys can find me on Twitter at Davis Maddock. And I am joined by my buddy, who's actually just on my other podcast, The Take Cast, Ben Gretsch, because uh, I, I, I want to have some people on this show who disagree with me a little bit, Ben. And you are, you are team Combine is overrated. Yeah, definitely. I mean, definitely for receivers. Like, I think it's like like the opposite of useful we should probably look at guys that are falling specifically because of the combine and target them that is so you you could not say anything that is more antithetical to how i approach drafting dynasty rookies than guys who fall because of bad combines are good values and for sure you will if you go back and you look at a history of the nfl draft you look at a history of the combine and who has done what you'll find loads of Philip Dorsett's, John Baldwin's, AJ Jenkins, these guys who came in, weighed 220 pounds, um, you know, ran four, three flat forties and, and sucked. Right. Yeah. I think that, uh, obviously the, the, um, the solver there was lack of college production. Every guy I just mentioned, and they're just all really popular examples. They were all non-productive in college. Um, but what do you what do you do with the KJ Hill guy who is okay? You know he was he was kind of pr- like relatively productive for an Ohio State wide receiver, but I, like he was just horrible at the combine, and he's going to be like a fifth round pick. I just pro- like probably won't. Yeah, he just doesn't him. exist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like the, like so. Here's the thing though: film Twitter loves that guy. Uh, the example from last year, Kelvin Harmon. Kelvin yeah, Harmon. I hated Kelvin Harmon last year. Me. So, yeah, I hated Kelvin Harmon too. And I liked him before because he was – so he was productive at a young age at uh, North Carolina State, right? And and then he had a bad final season. And then he came out – I think he, he had a bad final season and then early declared anyway and then was so bad at the combine. You know, even as late as, as um, July, he was still going in the first round of rookie drafts, Kelvin Harmon was. Yeah, and that was because people loved, like, a couple highlight real plays. It's the same, like, very similar thing to Doxon. And, like, there's obviously, uh, you know, oh, things man. on it. Josh Doxon. Yeah, things on the analytical side where you could say that there's, you know, kind of leaks that, that we lean too heavily on certain, you know, metrics or certain features. But as soon as you see a guy who's not really well known and film guys are like, this guy should be going way better because look at these highlight plays he's made. Like, you know that guy's 
going to be You know overvalued. that guy's overvalued. Yeah, he's immediately going to be overvalued. And the reason is, like, the way that I've always thought of it is, like, consistency at the wide receiver position is so much more important than the ability to do something phenomenal one time. For, right? like, well, for fantasy, maybe even not yes. for um, – Okay, it was it was JJ, late round quarterback that I was talking to a couple weeks ago, and he said, you know, NFL scouts, they might be looking at Henry Ruggs like a first round draft pick because he's going to clear space out for everyone else. You know, very similar to Deshaun Jackson, but maybe he won't ever be that good for our fantasy teams because he's only going to see 110 targets a year. And I and I started thinking about that, and I was like, yeah, you know, the job of an NFL wide receiver is not always to score 250 PPR points. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that's totally true. And, and I think the speedsters that can stretch the top off defenses are kind of their own class because there's not really any other type of receiver that can add so much value to the offense, but not really in fantasy. Like, like no slot guys doing that. You know what I mean? They're either productive, they're catching passes, or they're not. But, yeah, I mean, guys that – like, it, it, when I say consistency, it's, it's snap in, snap out. It's the ability to every single snap in a game get open, create separation, draw targets, right? Like, I'm someone who believes that targets are a measure of skill. Like that's an Tar- targets are an indicator of quality. Yeah. And I think that's like, that's what I look for. Like the guys like, you know, Keenan Allen always pops right to my head. Like, okay, he ran a horrible 40 and all these things, but he had so many innate abilities that don't show up in the combine. Particularly he's an amazing route runner. Like we all know that now. Well, we and he was, that. he was very productive in a horrible situation in college, very similar to Jalen Rager. And uh, so I totally, I, so the combine stuff matters because it's really predictive of draft position and the, the best argument. And I believe that this is the um, Sean Siegel argument and something we talked about in the show last week, a little bit as well, which is just that it gets double counted when you when your model is waiting draft position and it's waiting combine stuff, you are double counting that because guys who have bad combines do not get drafted highly. And guys who have unexpectedly good combines get drafted Wait, like Chase Claypool, Chase Claypool just went from being an undrafted free agent to if he went with the 48th pick of the NFL draft, you would, you wouldn't like, you wouldn't jump out of your seat. You'd be like, yeah, I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Cause everything's relative to draft position. Like that is first and foremost, that's going to determine who plays, who gets opportunity. And and we're trying to figure out guys that are going to either over or underperform their draft position in the actual draft. So I want to I want to go through I actually just today Wednesday March 4th I I went and redid my post combine rookie rankings and these are a couple of guys who I expect to be different from the industry. So I, I, I think that these are guys that are going to be either higher or lower by a few spots than industry standard. Uh Henry Ruggs at 10, too high, too low, just right for for dynasty rookie rankings. 10 overall, not wide receiver 10, right? 10 overall. overall. So that's after Jalen Rager, that's after Denzel Mims, and that's after T. Higgins. Yeah, so I think, like, you hear 10 and you're like, oh, that makes sense for him. But when you actually sit and look at the 2020 class, there's definitely 10 guys that I want ahead of Rose. Yeah. It's too high. It's too high. Yeah, like, I I think there's an argument for Justin Jefferson, who had a really good combine and might get drafted really highly. Um, If Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, so, like, he had, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire had a bad combine in the sense that, People were talking about him as one of the elite running backs in the class. I think that his combine was poor enough that he is now David Montgomery, right? Like he, yeah, which is a fine player, but it's not a guy that a team's going to take in the top fifty picks. 
Yeah, I, I don't know. Well, maybe like, they will. I don't Mon- know. Maybe they Montgomery's will. Montgomery's like a like a worst case. I would say. I, like, I, I still like him, but uh, another guy that I would take over Ruggs, I think, is interesting. Is Lavisca Chenault from uh, from Colorado? Like that's a dude that was super productive in year two, and then in year three, his stats went backwards. He had a bad combine though. That's a guy. That's but kinda, but if you want to, if you you want to be sharp though. Yeah. He was hurt. And I talked about this on the breakout finder podcast. Um, cause I, I really like I really like players like Chenault now more than I did, you know, five years ago where like, Oh, you know, they're going to use him at, he's going to play slot and boundary wide receiver. Maybe he'll take a couple snaps in the backfield mate. And at Colorado, he used to take, he was like their goal line back. He would take like wildcat yep. snaps on the goal line. And, um, like that probably used to would have been a thing we would have like made fun of prospects for. Like we would have like made fun of like Dexter McCluster and Denard Robinson for doing that stuff. But because so many more offenses are using packages like that all the time, that player is more valuable. So maybe, maybe while we're here, maybe I will move Chenault up. I have him first pick of the second round right now, 13th for me and rookies right now, but maybe that's too low. That's too low for me. I would have him in the in the first round for sure. I mean, it depends where he goes, but I think he's someone who could fall a little bit uh, in the real draft because, like, I don't know if people really buy that he was hurt. You know, they'll look at his forty. I certainly, I certainly don't buy that Zach Moss was hurt. <laughs> Zach Moss ran, I think, a four seven five forty. I don't buy it. I, I think that I think that Zach Moss, like Zach Moss, is. Um, there, there certainly is a good argument that he is going to be the Kelvin Harmon of he played in a really bad conference and was like, I mean, sure, Zach Moss was productive enough. It's not like he was bad in college, but I just guys, guys who run four sevens are generally not NFL players. Uh, the the don't people opposite, love him, right? Dude. Well, <laughs> this is what happens. Every running back that's not fast gets comp to Kareem Hunt. So Zach Moss, Zach Moss is the 2020 Kareem Hunt. That's, that's the, that's the film take on him. Before him, it was, it was Devonta Freeman. And there's like a couple, you know, there's a couple examples of this, but over a larger sample, like the elite backs are all pretty darn fast and athletic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So that's actually, while we're talking about the combine, that is a good point. Guys who are like, if you're trying to find sleepers or break ties amongst third round rookie draft picks and stuff, you're going to just do so much better off taking guys who are sick athletes in that range, as opposed to, Zach Moss, you know, uh, Benny Snell, guys like that. Uh, okay. Opposite of Zach Moss, AJ Dillon. This is okay. This is really high relative. I moved him all the way up to 15th overall. So obviously if we think he's not going to get drafted high, this is just absolute lunacy. I think that combine just, I think that combine basically put him in the NFL's mind equal to, acres Clyde Edwards Hilaire like I think he'll go top 100 pretty easily yeah guys like this I mean I'm gonna wait and see on draft position you know I have a league that does a rookie draft before the before I do I do as well and I would speculate what you just said that he's gonna go like running a four five three at almost 250 pounds like he's gonna probably and he had like a 46 inch vertical jump too or something crazy like that yeah super athletic at that size so yeah he's probably gonna someone's gonna fall in love with him for sure yeah he is the he is the highest spark score running back of the class actually you a lot of people who listen to the show probably don't even know about uh zach zach whitman's website three sigma athlete but this is like i have i have um always used his stuff to identify like 
uber athletic, uh, you know, guys to take a little bit later on in rookie drafts because you'll you will find names in here that you're not going to find um, in other stuff just from looking at straight forty times. Like an example of a guy who. I am likely going to be speculating on a little bit in rookie drafts, maybe fourth, fifth round type stuff this year, is Tyree Cleveland out of Florida. He had a higher spark score than uh, Michael Pittman, Antonio Gibson, Justin Jefferson. Not very productive at Florida, but I mean, Florida was a terrible football program when he was there. Like, I, I like to take risks on guys like that. But that... Is, yeah, that's the exact opposite of what I would do. In right, that's the exact me, opposite of your strategy. Yeah, right. literally the exact opposite. In the late rounds, I would take a risk at wide receiver. It's different at running back. I agree with you that, you know, taking a shot on an elite uh, athlete running back in this, you know, third round of rookie drafts is like, that, that's, I think, the high upside play for sure. But when I'm looking at receivers in the third rounds of rookie drafts, I'm always looking at guys that have a proven production record because, like, yeah, duh, Colin Colin Johnson, Devin, uh, the the Texas guy, like he caught, he led them in receptions every single year he played there. Uh, actually got outshone by his teammate, Devin Duvernay, at the Combine. I mean, Colin Johnson is going to be free in rookie drafts. Yeah, exactly. That's, I mean, that's like definitely the type of guy. I mean, uh, isn't Gandy Golden a pretty, like I, I haven't even dug into this a ton. No, Ga- Gandy Gold. so Gandy Golden was like it it kind of depends on what numbers you use in terms of like oh did this guy have did this guy have a good combine or not uh actually kind of the same for Rager people were disappointed that Rager was not as fast or whatever but when Rager weighed in at 210 pounds I was like oh this guy might go in the first round because like you can't like unless you're the Ravens you're not drafting a 180 pound wide receiver in the first round it just just doesn't really happen for Gandy Golden I was talking about production like he's going to be a little bit of a later pick, right? But a very productive guy. It's small school, but like super, super productive. Yeah, forty percent dominator rating. Yeah. So I mean, that's the kind of guy that, like, okay, yeah, I'll take a chance on a small school guy that was really productive. A bit so later. I have Gandy Golden higher than Brandon Ayuk, higher than Michael Pittman, higher than KJ Hamler. I have him at sixteenth overall because I, I do, I even the even the small school production. I value that stuff so much more. And for me, um, I like I like I like guys Gandy Golden size because they there are as the NFL if, like moves towards a lot of these, you know, smaller players and stuff. There are just less guys like Gandy Golden who play the wide receiver position. So, yeah, uh, what's what's your what's your uh, what's your official stance on Denzel Mims? I moved him way up because I liked him before anyways like I thought he was a good productive player anyways but he he was the biggest winner of the combine of any yeah. player I think yeah no so like this is where you get into the issue of double counting though and I oh, think double there's, counting there's two uh, two types of double counting one like this is going to improve his draft stock but also like the reason I think production like people have a hard time with the athlete numbers in my opinion with receivers if production is is this um predictive there's a reason for it right and Mm-hmm. It, it means that whatever the player's physical skills are, he knows how to use them. There are athletes that can't produce, but like we learn these numbers and I don't want to double count this because what we learned is this guy's a really great athlete, but we also already knew that he had ter- translated that into production, right? Like, so it's not like he was very productive and he's a great athlete. He's a great athlete. He's productive because he's a great athlete. That's how he wins. So I don't really want to double count that. I already did like him though, because he's a very good uh, you know, dominator rating, breakout age, strong production record for him. 
where are you valuing the quarterbacks in this class? I have um, I, I have Burrow as like a, a second tier, so like somewhere in between picks 12 and 16, I think is a good range for Burrow. And then I have both Tua and Jalen Hurts in my third tier, which is like beginning of like second round to third round. Like I think those guys should be gone by pick 30, basically in, in most rookie drafts. That's obviously a little bit aggressive for Hurts, but I know you love him, but like, I, I can't help it for me. Like I don't even widen up ranking quarterbacks in my overall rankings because it's so specific to your league, right? Like if yeah, you need like a quarterback, it, it does, you if, you're, if you, if you play in a lot of super flex leagues, you're going to be super hyper aware of it. If you play in 20 leagues and none of them are super flex, like you don't care. Like, it just or doesn't if, matter. If you have a bunch of aging quarterbacks, like I, I, most of my startups, I take quarterbacks really late. And then my quarterback room in my, my team in like yeah, two sucks. to three years is dead. Yeah. So yeah. like, then, yeah, I, like I would take Burrow in the, in the 12 to 16 range. Like you said, if I had a chance to get him and I needed a long-term quarterback, but I, I still won't overpay for him, you know? Yeah. So I, I think another, I think another really, um, well, this is just, this is a huge debate this year is who do you think should go, First overall, Jonathan Taylor or DeAndre Swift? I think it's no question it's Taylor. Like, what, I think are people, all, what are people doing with DeAndre Swift? I don't understand. This is a, like, ta- people are mad that Taylor had so much work. Like, that, that's a problem. Like, why are you still, like, I, I, like, my question would be, like, why are you still drafting, like, Ezekiel Elliott in the first round of fantasy drafts? Because he had a ton of work over his first few NFL seasons, and that's got to be more – you know, more painful. You're taking bigger shots from better athletes and like getting tackled more. Jonathan Taylor's just running away from people in college. Like I, I, I'm not concerned about his workload. In fact, it's a positive Christian McCaffrey had one of the biggest workloads. The reason people pushed him down and he's the, yeah, he was a stone cold workhorse and he just has kept doing it in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, like, it's a positive thing that this dude has handled this much work at the college level and has been been able to stay healthy, and he's an elite athlete. There's no question in my mind this guy's the number one pick. I would say that most of the Rotoviz work into this stuff, which is where, and, and people should not get this mistaken, most of what people believe and say about prospects, if it's based in data, it came from someone at Rotoviz at some point along the road. That's just yep. kind of the way that research into this stuff works. And, you know, I, I believe that most of what they have found has been, it's just been super high signal ratio for the more touches a guy gets in college, the more likely it is that they are going to produce right away. And I think, like, I think Jonathan Taylor, better prospect than Josh Jacobs, who is kind of the unanimous first overall. I think he was, I think, I mean, compare him to Leonard Fournette. Compare Jonathan Taylor to Leonard Fournette, who was also a unanimous first overall pick. It's like, it's like, it's not even close. You, you would better take better than all those guys. Yeah. Way better. Like, I, he's not quite Saquon. Because no. he's not quite like Saquon was like 99th percentile athlete, but Jonathan Taylor is like a 90th percentile athlete and was productive and caught passes. I uh, I want him in all my leagues. Yeah, I mean, if you can get him, you 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 get him. I think there are some like some slight concerns about his pass blocking, which could end up being a problem. But like, yeah, you can God, him to, God like, help me. You compare him to Josh Jacobs, and you compare him to. Um, any of the backs when I was saying all those backs, any of the backs from last year's class or um, guys like Fournette in, in, you know, the years before that, I think he's definitely a better prospect personally. Yeah. Like I, and, and so if I understand it correctly, 
the DeAndre Swift stuff is based off of him being like a very good, um, like he was like the number one recruit coming out of high school, I think. Like it was like a sweepstakes of where he decided to go. And then as a true freshman, he was taking carries away from Todd Gurley and Sony Michelle. So I think that is where a lot of it comes from. And I mean, I got to admit, like you watch him and you're like, oh, this guy's really good. Like he's a really good pass catcher. He's really uh shifty. What's a good scouting word? He's got great foot frequency. He really does. He's got great foot frequency out Dog there. Steps. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he does look good doing what like running back stuff. The issue How's is his is hip that swivel? his hip swivel, I'd rate it like a B plus. Like a B okay. plus hip swivel. I think hip swivel is cornerbacks. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I don't know. <laughs> we're we're the wrong guys. But I, I just it's just one of those examples of it's like take lock. It's like people can't people yep. can't get off. He is still Swift is still Laquan across the Treadwell. industry. Oh. Like Laquan Treadwell was a dude that same thing was a great prospect coming into college. Was never productive in college. Didn't have a great combine. Still went in the first round because people were still convinced that he was an, an elite prospect because he had been all the way since high school. And it, it's like yeah, it's okay to move guys. Like I get that there's got to like there's got to be guys that are the top running back in their class coming out of high school and all that stuff, but it's totally within their range of outcomes that they wind up just being a pretty good prospect as wind opposed up being to average. an elite one. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I think it's really hard for people to like, when they've already put somebody on that tier and in that, like on that pedestal in that tier to move them back down to like, you know, maybe Deandre Swift should only be like the sixth player in this draft. And I don't know if that's where I necessarily have him. I, I'm pretty much like just go with consensus on stuff. Yeah, I, I have him. I have him at um, third. I, I moved I moved C.D. Lamb ahead of him. That was the only thing I did as a result of stuff over the last couple weeks. And if weeks. he gets major draft capital and we know he's going to get, uh, you know, a, a workhorse role, role in the NFL, like he's got to be a top five pick. In the, well, in, I, I, probably a top I, three. Yeah, and I think that he – I mean – Jonathan Taylor and DeAndre Swift could both be top 24 picks and redraft this year. They could both go in the first two rounds because running back gets thin super fast. Like Miles Sanders is like a top 15 pick right now. And it's super early on and stuff is going to change. But like Miles Sanders going really early. Leonard Fournette, who like literally no one wants to draft. Like they're just, if you're out there and you're telling me like, oh dude, I love Leonard Fournette this year. No, you don't. You, you don't, you don't believe it because Leonard Fournette, not good, plays for a bad team. And, and like, all it would take would be, like, 40 target, like, 60 of his touches overall to be diverted to Ryquel Armstead, Alfred Blue. You know, just doesn't matter. And he go like, and he's useless, basically. And Jay Groot is always, he's a passing back. If he doesn't catch 76 balls, like, everyone's like, oh, his touchdowns are going to regress positively. But if he doesn't catch 76 balls again, you're, you're kind of, like, you, now you just have a bad running back. Yeah. <laughs> Um, all right, let's see if I have anything else spicy here. Well, so how so would the landing spot on these guys matter so much? Like so if DeAndre much. Swift, if DeAndre Swift goes to the Chiefs, like I'm draft, I might draft it's him just like, it's, yeah, it's like, like <laughs> I mean, I might, I might draft him like fourth overall in redraft. Like right. you just have to do it. Um, okay, Chase Claypool. Before I before I tell you where I have him ranked, where just give me give me your thoughts on Chase Claypool, who basically had the best combine that anyone could have had he he 6'4 240 ran a 4.42 uh 
I mean, his college numbers are not bad. Like the way not people bad. talked about him, the way people talked about him, you would think that he caught like eight passes in college. He had 119 targets his final season at Notre Dame, a thousand yards, 13 receiving touchdowns. Chase Claypool, this is your, the floor is yours. Yeah. I mean, this is like, I don't even have a long, like, take on it this is like a really simple example of a guy that yes he was productive and yes I probably would have liked him if he didn't absolutely torch the combine but as soon as he torched the combine and started getting compared to Megatron I'm a lock to not take not him be into him. somebody's well somebody's going to take him before I would rank him you, you, were on, you were on a podcast with the person who – we're yeah, in a couple – you will we, take him before I can. We are in a couple sure. leagues together, and I can tell you he's not going to get past – like, he won't get past me in any second round that I'm in. I will, I will, I'm taking him in the second round. And assuming guys that I look at, and I would comparably take over him up until a point where he's gone. And, like, that's just the way it works. Like, I'm not going to have him in any leagues. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's uh, like everyone. Everyone prioritizes things, you know the the way that they, uh, you know, the, the way that they do it. All right, uh, I mean, do you have any other big rookie takes? Do you have do you have any any other? Do you have anything spicy? No, not really. If you I don't, don't, that's okay. I mean, I like Chenault. I like Rager. I like Jefferson. We talked about those guys. I think those guys are all going to be like later first round picks, and especially if they don't land in great spots. But like, that's exactly what happened to like AJ Brown last year. And I took him in every league, and I'm going to probably continue to take those types of players that are really productive and get knocked down in rookie drafts because of landing spot or because of, you know, I mean, AJ Brown's a great athlete. And I think, you know, right. Those other guys are, are good athletes as well. But um you know if the combine doesn't help them let's just put it that way if it doesn't boost them because they didn't break any records and you can still get like you know anybody like that that's just boring productive like those guys are going to be the most valuable players in the in the room that's that's my hot take like that's i love taking those guys to the back of the first round yeah you you love you love um like boring value picks yeah i traded those those guys those guys pay off yeah, like nobody like – you have to trade a ton to get into the top five or six picks because everyone's excited to draft those names. But then when you get to the back of the half of the first round, people will trade you those picks during the draft. You still have to overpay a little bit during the draft, but like th- that's where I like to jump into drafts and take those types of players. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that that uh, – you know, I think that that is pretty reasonable. Okay, I just want you – I want you to give me a, a thumbs up or thumbs down on some of these guys who are going to be in the uh, in the back half of the draft. Uh, Eno Benjamin. Um, eh, thumbs up. Thumbs up. Okay, thumbs up to Eno Benjamin. Uh, Keyshawn Vaughn. Not non non productive guy, very good combine, but played for a bad team. Yeah, I, thumbs up. Okay, uh, Donovan Peoples Jones. I I just gotta say both those guys. Like I'm I'm yeah I'm like intrigued by them, just like I'm intrigued by any rookie. But like right landing spot and draft capital. Like at that point with running backs, I want to know where they got drafted and who drafted them. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean I mean uh, there is not going to be a position that is more sensitive to draft like it's running backs as draft position is everything more or less like that's just kind of how you it's just kind of how you have to think of things it's just the way it goes yeah donovan people's jones though i mean donovan people's jones really good combine but probably a thumbs down for me based on um where he's gonna you know wind up going i I don't know if i'm gonna grab him in a lot of leagues 
Yeah, I mean, I think that that uh, I think that that is overall a pretty reasonable. Okay, here here's a guy. Literally, literally no production. I I I wonder if I'm going to be the only person who has this guy ranked in their is their top forty. But Jamichael Hasty, he is he is he went to Baylor and he was like uh like an overage prospect, but he was used more as a pass catcher than their other backs and is like a like an 80th percentile spark athlete and he's got cool dreads. There's I mean, a name. There's a name just, to watch. You just convinced me. Thumbs up. I mean, a pass catcher. Like I, I love pass catching backs. Like yeah, I he, overpay he, for pass catching backs. He uh, he had uh, over 30 targets in three se- in uh, all three of his seasons as a starter for Baylor. And he's got dreads, and he's a good athlete. Like yeah, of course. There we go. Uh, I'm trying to. I don't. I don't think I. I think my. I haven't even my, dug like dug in that like that deep, but I know you have. Like I, I would expect that from you. Well, I just like, I mean, to be honest, a big part of like what I do can't be done until after the combine. So like the last three days I've just been spent going through all my spreadsheets and looking at stuff and like, Jamichael Hasty. I don't know how to say, uh, he's the only one. He's the only one I like. Yeah. He's that's it. I like him too. Like, so, so for people who don't know, we're talking about the, um, the Missouri tight end who just goes by, they, he just asked people to call him Albert O cause his name is so, I, I really, I can't pronounce it. It's too hard, but, uh, this man scored touchdowns like as his job at college, 11, six and six, his three seasons there, he weighs 260 pounds and ran a 4.49, like crazy stuff. Super athletic. He had a great combine. Um, yeah, I'm. I, I I dig him. I want him. Yeah. I like. I I end up going after athletes and tight end more. I, like, there's just some college teams that don't that don't use, use their, their tight, tight ends. ends. Yeah, and so it's not really like, is he capable or not? I don't know. And then the the Cole Komet guy. I don't know how to say his name either. But I think he from Notre Dame. I think he's pretty interesting too. I mean, he's productive. It, it, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and production at production at tight end does end up mattering more than you think it will, right? Like production, production at tight end does actually like guys who catch, you know, if you have 150 catches in college as a tight end, like you generally end up having some sort of role in the NFL. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, uh, it's just always sort of interesting how that stuff, uh, how that stuff works out. Um, all right, man. Do we have do we have any other takes to get off our chest? I kind of just wanted to run through, you know, some some quick combine stuff for people who are not sweating it uh, that close. Go for it. Um, well, I guess I guess the the couple things that you need to know is the top tier. Well, actually, let's reverse. Jerry Judy, I think, did himself some damage at uh, at the combine i i think that he cost himself some money he's like a an 18th percentile spark athlete now do you do you care about that at all if he still gets drafted you know top 20 absolutely not <laughs> like i mean i, I there, yeah pr- i mean production. i think that's a reasonable take there's per- there's production concerns with him too a little bit but like we know that Alabama was just so dominant. Like all, I, I can't remember who, Oh, I think it was uh, Russell Clay. Shout out Russell Clay, who noted that Alabama, like all 11 of their wins were by 19 or more points, like just absolutely destroyed teams. And that's part of why, like, not only did he, he was competing with other really good players. Uh, you know, obviously you got Devonta Smith, who's still there, but rugs as well. But like, they were winning by so much that they didn't like, they didn't need to play these guys in the second halves like ever 
like ever. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like they, like, like they were win. never in there. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, yeah, the production concerns, uh, like I, I move those down a little bit. I am going to trust, um, scouts kind of just generally being super high on him. And if they're going to move him down, like he's still produced, he still put up numbers considering how many, how much he played. And if they're going to, if people are going to move him down because of his combine, like then I'm probably going to be more interested in him relative. I'm not going to move him up because he had a bad combine, but. You will, you will certainly be able to get a cheaper price on him uh, today than you would have before the combine. And, and CD lamb is like, there was a debate like CD or Judy and it's now, it's now lamb for sure. And I guess the other guy that we did not talk about at all was cam acres, but acres is a guy that I like way more than the market, you know, just was a huge, like big time pass catcher at Florida state, you know, caught, uh, 30 passes his final season uh, had at least 18 targets in every year and he ran a, a 4.47 at 217 pounds I, I think that Akers is like kind of like the secret superstar of this class yeah he's someone's gonna slip through the cracks something like uh, Edwards Hilaire gets like way more talk it seems like and someone yeah you know, I, I think I probably have Akers ahead of him but he I, I don't necessarily think that's how drafts will go yeah, I I uh I uh I don't think I don't think so either. Uh, a couple other guys, uh Quez Watkins, he was uh he actually was uh you know more productive. Uh he was actually a more productive college player, but he I think every time guys run a sub 4440, they end up they end up getting uh you know just a couple extra notes on the combine worksheet. So he went to Southern Mississippi, ran a 435 and uh, uh kind of like a 38% dominator rating. What do you, what do you think about these undersized prospects though? Like has, has, what does wide receiver weight do for your models? Like, are you paying attention to that stuff at all? So like back in the day at Rotoviz, they showed, um, why can't I think of, um, who did the modeling on wide receiver weight back in the day? I, man, I feel so bad. I can't remember. It's probably John Moore. Yeah, I know. I know he was involved, but there, um, there's definitely someone who I'm 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 letting his name slip my mind. But uh, showed some um, showed that 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 really matters. I think uh, the rule changes, like a lot of that was based on, but that was like 2015, 2016. It was based on earlier, like an earlier atmosphere. Because in 2014, they kind of readjusted like illegal contact and a lot of those rules. It's so different now, the it's wide receiver different. position. And then immediately yeah. T.Y. Hilton the next year led the NFL in receiving yards. And I think we've seen over the years since then, and there's not enough data to really make a strong case, but it's a more forgiving league now for undersized receivers. So I don't – like I still think weight matters, especially for touchdown production – and I'm not going to like write it off, but I don't put as much weight into weight <laughs> in my model. It used to be, it used to be something that I sweated really hard. Like I was like, no, this, this matters a ton. You know, you can't like small wide receivers, yada, yada. And uh, I think that even more so than the rule changes, I think the fact that, um, NFL like schemes have changed, like yes. play calling has changed. Yeah. That's uh, a huge part of it too. Yeah. Your number one wide receiver, how many teams' number one wide receiver is the outside guy who's trying to catch passes on the sidelines? You have the Texans with Hopkins, but they move him into the slot. 
Um, I guess you have Galladay with the Lions. But I mean, so I think many it's teams... still most teams. There, but there are a lot of teams, you're right, that, that still send a ton of targets to the slot, which is a point. You're yeah, making. I mean, Mike Thomas is a slot wide receiver. Yeah. Julio plays in the slot now. Like, a lot of these guys, DJ Moore, DJ Moore had – 1,100 yards last season running nothing but crossing routes out of the slot. That's literally all the guy did, and he just dominated Like, because that's a really efficient route, the way the NFL is efficient. Even just the fact that somebody like Michael Thomas exists is, a, mm-hmm. I think, a pretty big like proof of the change from a decade ago and especially like the 90s, right, and the 00s. Like, that's not how it was, but now – we have so many more spread offenses and there's so many Yeah, you could you couldn't uh you couldn't have run those crossing routes back in the day. You would you would like like a 180 pounds wide receiver uh running those crossing routes you would just get destroyed. Not happening. Yeah, and even like the rise of bubble screens, all sorts of things, like ways that like jet sweeps that they just like these teams are getting the ball in hands of athletes, you know, like Tyree Kills another one that they use him so creatively uh obviously not a huge dupe right like not like i I, those types of guys can can be better i think in today's nfl than they could even a half decade ago definitely 10 20 years ago for sure uh i think uh i think it's um there this is not really related to what we're talking about but there's a lot of like conversation right now about how the chiefs should like find a running back in the draft or like trade for christian mccaffrey or something and i didn't feel like arguing on twitter the last couple days for one of the first times in my life, but I just like the chiefs would be actively worse if they got a better running back. Like the better, the better the chiefs running back is the worse they would be as a team. Cause it would just encourage them to do Patrick Mahomes stuff less. I mean, that's not a bad take. I don't think it's a wrong take. There's a lot of data that like, it sounds wrong. It's, it sounds wrong in the same way that like saying wide receivers that are athletic, you should like not like, because teams are going to overvalue them. But like, there's a lot of reasons to believe that. Like, we've seen the data that shows that with certain teams that they're more productive when they don't like when their elite back gets hurt or isn't on the field because they throw more. Like, that's better for them. Yeah, and uh, so like, if you think about Kansas City with Damian Williams when they throw to the running backs, uh, he just like was always open, right? Whereas if they if they had um, if they had Christian McCaffrey, they would be running a bunch of awful plays, right? Like they would just be running a bunch of plays. Not awful, but you'd go from gaining like nine yards of play to gaining like six yards of play. I, I, I think if you have a pass catcher like Christian McCaffrey in that offense, they would still throw. Like Andy Reid's one of the coaches that I would trust to still throw. Like even when he had McCoy and those guys back with the Eagles and, and Brian Westbrook was like one of the first like three – not – three down backs but like one of the first guys that like he gave you so much value in the passing game I, I guess like Marshall Falk was like I mean we can go even further back Roger Craig and all these dudes but like Marshall Falk like it used to be like running backs didn't catch as many passes and Westbrook is one of these guys that started is like a more modern running back back right. in the day Reed's been doing that for years I don't think a, a good pass catching back like McCaffrey would like ruin their offense I think it, it would I don't think it would ruin it but I certainly think that there'd be more like 12 play field goal drives where instead of like four play touchdown drives, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, no, I know you mean like when you lower your average depth of target, you you just open yourself up to that. Uh, So what do you, what do you have work going on over at uh, going on over at CBS these days? You got anything big you're working on? We're grinding out prospect profiles right now. I'm still doing the XFL stuff, you know, keeping keeping people who want to play XFL DFS informed. And, Dude, it's uh, the best. 
yeah, it's enjoyable. I, I, like, I, like not every team is enjoyable. So uh, there are three, I think, three good teams. The Battlehawks are good. The Roughnecks are good. And the Renegades are good. When Landry Jones is not um, throwing interceptions, they're not going to be good this next week with Philip Nelson. But well, those Jones, three I teams think, might be out for the year. I read he's only going to be out for two weeks. Okay. Well, maybe that's true. Which it seems, it, which seems questionable because he had an ice wrap on his leg like the size of a killer whale. It, it was like also XFL medical help probably is not super well, great. All, all of it. Like we're sitting here discussing, you know, uh, how long he's going to be out. We don't have any reporting. We don't, we don't know about their medical help. We don't know. We don't even know like practice reports. We're just guessing and it's pretty fun. <laughs> like, I mean, and, and guys show up like, uh, oh, you weren't on the practice report all week, but you're not playing. Yeah. Like, like Elijah Hood a couple weeks yeah, in a Elijah row? Hood, yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. I, I definitely saw something that said that his MCL was bad enough that he probably wouldn't play the rest of the year. And now that you say that he's only been out two weeks, I'm, I'm convinced that. But I that could be, but that could report. be wrong, though, right? Like, well, that, could, could, that wrong. could just, yeah, yeah that, that could just be a lie. <laughs> we have no idea. We're just guessing. So, I haven't talked about the XFL at all on this podcast. I think it has staying power. I know that the viewership has gone down, but like the, the games in St. Louis, they've sold out like, and they, I went to one and it was a lot of fun. It was like a ton of fun to go to. And St. Louis is really good. So like, I don't think they're going to have a problem selling tickets and the players aren't making any money. So it's got to be pretty cost effective for the league. Yeah. I mean, like people are, already saying like oh their their attendance is dropping their tv ratings are dropping who knows how long this league's gonna last like yeah the the aaf collapsed i think we have a pretty good feel that the xfl is not gonna do that like they already just saw another league do this last year why like they got to make sure they have enough money to run through one season we have to hope and i like you said like there are some entertaining teams i think especially now that like they're getting some more of these like um dual threat athletes playing like we saw more bj daniels last yeah week. once i'm super excited to see him play more Yes. So that's uh, my biggest takeaway is having a mobile quarterback when your offensive line is bad and your players aren't that good is like a cheat code. Like PJ Walker and Jordan Ta'amu are completely different levels of player in this league. Not because they're, I mean, PJ Walker is not some like hyper accurate Patrick Mahomes level thrower. It's just that he can move a little bit and doesn't get sacked. I mean, you know, Brandon Silvers and Matt McGloin, like these guys had no chance because their teammates aren't good enough to get open for every throw and they're not good enough to not get sacked. So it just is horrible to watch. Yep. And I wish New York, like they went to Luis Perez last week and they won and he was all right, but I wish they would have went to Marquise Williams and just played him. Like just let him do things. Like he was, every time he gets in the game, it's entertaining. Like, and I think it's better for their offense that he's mobile and, and is, you know, making plays, even if a couple of them are a little bit erratic, like let him, let him get his legs. Well, you're, you're, you're throwing, you're throwing interceptions anyways. You're punting all the time right. anyways. Like what does it matter if Marquise Williams takes a couple sacks or fumbles a couple times here or there? If, uh, you know, if like he's able to, I don't know, score points, like New York got shut out in a game. Like yeah. it's embarrassing. Yep. Agreed. Yeah. Tampa needs to go to Quinn and Flowers. All those guys need to start. Playing. Well, he got he he doesn't want to be on the team anymore. He requested a trade because yeah, because they're not playing him, right? Well, but, like, oh, actually, what you team. what you what you just said is really interesting because Taylor Cornelius is like not as good of a passer as Aaron Murray, but just like the fact that he is 
minusculely mobile. Like yeah. he can move just a little bit. The Vipers went from being like in week one and week two, like the worst team to being like, like they dunked on, I don't even, who did they play? The LA? Yeah. I don't remember. They, they dunked on somebody. Yeah, yeah. And it was, and it was just because DC, the defenders. DC, DC, DC. And uh, yeah. And they just did that because they got like semi, semi competent quarterback play, which is very hard to come by in the XFL. Yeah. Agreed. Like we got to, we got to get more of these QBs out there. And like, we we're talking about DFS, like part of it does kind of suck that the, there are, are only a few. Really yeah. You good... just got to stack the roughnecks every right. week. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's just kind of annoying, but, and, and like, it makes it tough to, to differentiate in like the larger tournaments. It's like, okay, we're just stacking the same teams and mixing in like one player from some of the weaker teams and hoping that one player is like, has a big game, you know? Yeah. Um, all right, man. Well, everyone make sure to check out all of Ben's stuff over on cbssports.com. We also uh, have a podcast going on right now about Omni Fantasy. Uh, ben, give your, give your uh, elevator pitch on Omni Fantasy if the people want to go listen to that right now. Yeah, it's the futures market meets fantasy drafting. So you draft a bunch of teams instead of players and you across a bunch of different leagues and you wind up with uh, all these bets to, to, and then you make, you get points out off who wins championships and, and who gets, who goes far in all the playoffs in, in all these leagues. So you're not drafting players. You don't have to do a ton of research. It's, it's pretty fun. Yeah, it is. It is pretty fun. I would encourage everyone to check that podcast out, to check Omni Fantasy out, read Ben's work. Uh, if you guys want to get to know Ben more, you think he sounded sharp on the show, Google Ben Gretsch Trap. His articles on running back touches and where they come from on the field is probably one of the best articles that I've read in fantasy football over the last year. I think you guys will really enjoy it, and we will be back next week. Ever wondered how a book gets made into a movie? Or how to master the art of cooking? Either way, we've got you covered with the Two Guys from Hollywood podcast. I'm Alan Nevins, a literary agent and talent manager. And I'm Joey Santos, a columnist and celebrity chef. On our podcast, we're going to be serving you a fresh perspective of the entertainment industry alongside our favorite celebrity guests. As we like to say, we don't dish, we serve. Listen and follow Two Guys from Hollywood on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll talk at you soon.